Well, good morning. It's uh, good to see all of you uh, here for uh, our series here. So this series, we've been uh, going through uh, the book of Galatians, and we're going to be looking at uh, Galatians chapter 4. And uh, it occurred to me that in particular with uh, chapter 4, because of some of the things that Paul is saying, and Paul wrote this letter, um, that it's important to understand that there are three very distinct groups of Christians that are involved uh, in this letter, this letter uh, that is, it's one of my favorite uh, letters out of the uh, New Testament. And so to really get a feel of these three different groups and what they're like, I, I want to create like a living illustration in the room right now. So I'm going to divide the group, uh, the room up in three different groups. And we're going to talk about these three different groups of, of Christians that uh, would have been involved with this letter. So um, the first group are uh, uh, these Gentile Christians, mostly from a Greek or a Roman background. And so this side of the room, from uh, this line right here all the way back, you all represent, and, and those of you, like maybe just like draw a line right up there, you all represent uh, this group of Gentile uh, Christians with this heavy uh, Greek and Roman uh, background. And you have, you have this very lively and chaotic a heritage uh, to you. You don't have like uh, a specific uh, like set of patriarchs or something that you would anchor your sense of religion or spiritual life back to. There's just like all of this stuff. There's a lot of mystery uh, involved. In fact, uh, the ancient Greeks, uh, they traced things way back, but there were still things like they had these massive structures that they called the Cyclopean walls because they just believed that these are so big that somewhere they had ancestors that somehow accessed uh, like these uh, giant cyclopses that must have built uh, this whole thing. And they had this attachment uh, to the sea and their spiritual life and all of this stuff. And of course, lots and lots of gods. So all of you here, you have this background of all these different gods. And when you think about these gods, right, they're a lot like three-year-olds with superpowers, right? So that's what you're dealing with. When you think about like going to church or the spiritual life, that's what you've got to deal with. And if I were to say, tell me some, what are, what are some of the character traits of some of the gods that you interact with and uh, worship, uh, you would probably come up with uh, things like, well, vindictive. Vindictive would be a character trait of some of the gods that I have, or quick to anger, or envious, or short-suffering, right? They, those gods, did, they, couldn't, they couldn't handle, you know, suffering over something or being patient uh, for a moment on this thing. And they were very, very vain, right? This is this is, your, this is the background that you had when you thought about spiritual things, this plethora of gods and all the stuff going on. So there came a day, right? Because you are uh, Gentile Christians, when you heard the gospel, and as you heard the gospel and it was unpacked for you, maybe one of your first thoughts was, Jesus is so nice <laughs> and forgiving, right? And then they'd go on and give you all this, and you'd go, no, you had me at Jesus is nice. I'm ready to be a follower, right? You just know Jesus is forgiving and nice, and like, just, you're off to the races in this thing. So there would be a lot of you in these churches in this area called uh, Galatia, and there would be an ancient Greek word that would capture your sense of being 
with being like a Greek or Roman Christian. And this is a very, very old Greek word that all of us are going to probably uh, know and are familiar with. Uh, it started off in ancient, ancient Greek as this uh, word uh, that captured the idea of togetherness. And then it captured this idea of peace, being, being at peace, usually like in a gathering or whatever. So if I were to say, you are the church, your first thought would be, ah, oh, yeah, together. We're at peace. And here's the word, right? It's upa, right? So it's this idea that, you know, if something happens, you spill a, uh, a plate. Or you just get to bring out flaming cheese, right? It's upa, right? So here's what I want to do. Just to kind of get you all in the spirit of like who you are in this uh, little illustration, um, I'm going to say you are the church and you, are, you all are going to respond enthusiastically with upa. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Now, you all, not your turn yet, okay? Stay there, okay? So, ready? You are the church. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, uh. good job, good job. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So now, so there's this group of Greek and Roman Christians uh, that are very much a part of what Paul is uh, dealing with here in Galatians. But now there's another group and I'm going to call these Judean leaders. Um, they, uh, they came from the area of Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, they didn't actually really live in the area of Galatia. And this is going to be this group over here. So from the aisle here over, you all are the Judean leaders, okay? And uh, you grew up with a very different kind of, of heritage in this. And again, you're more from this area of Jerusalem and Judea, Galatia, uh, Galatia wasn't a single church. Like so some of the letters you see in the New Testament are really speaking to a single church. Galatians was written to a group of churches in the area of Galatia that uh, think of modern day Turkey is roughly where that area is. And there are a multitude of churches uh, in that area. So you all have traveled um, or are exerting influence in this area because you care deeply about it. And again, you are a group of Christians, and you're from a Jewish background. You are Jewish Christians from this area of Judea. And unlike, um, you know, your Greek and Roman brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't have like this chaotic, weird uh, background. You, you're anchored in some patriarchs and in this rich tradition. Like, if we were to ask you, you know, like, who are your patriarchs? Like, not, a, not even a question for a second. It is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. Like, you would know this. And it was rich and beautiful. And there would be this whole tradition that you would have around uh, following and reading and studying the Torah. What we would mostly think of today is like uh, the Old Testament. Um, but also, also, there was this part with this group that while they heard, the, right, and they hear the gospel, they respond to the gospel. And they become followers of Christ. But when they look at their tradition, their background, what they look at and see is, you know, I'm saved in Christ, but it is important that we continue to follow the Torah, that we continue to follow the law as the law for how to live. So you would look at this group over here and you'd say, 
we love them, right? You love them and they're your new brothers and sisters in Christ. But you would also say, but there's a few things that they want you to change in your life. For instance, starting with like, you need to change uh, some things with maybe how you dress. No more mixing fabrics and stuff because there's some things that you all know about in this, right? Y'all may have, you know, I don't know who invented polyester, but if I found out it was the Greeks, it would not surprise me, okay? Right? Love all the color in your clothing. Just don't mix cotton and wool in this thing. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you'd be like, a few other things. There's going to be, for the guys, a little bit of minor surgery. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute here on this thing. And then you'd be like, and some dietary loss. You know, no more BLTs, uh, you know, for lunch or whatever. And you'd be like, can we go back to the minor surgery thing? That's what I'm interested in, right? And you'd be like, there are going to be certain festivals and celebrations that you must practice, right? Not just, you know, it, you know if you feel like these are important and you would still be like okay but we can we go back to this other thing that we want to talk about a little bit right and you would say this not because you're trying to be mean or harsh it's just you see that christ came out of the story of the torah and that these things about torah it is important to keep following these laws and these rules because um there's something that you would believe that this is how god wants it to be and so like like there'd be things that you'd want to say about this. But you would also see that to follow Torah, this is your way, and you would have a word for this, right? And that is to have peace. And not just peace in a generic sense, right? Uh, and the word for you all would be shalom, wouldn't it? Um, but shalom carries this, not just peace, it is a deep sense of well-being, right? And to be a Christian who is all also out of this Jewish tradition, right? If I were to say, you are the church, you would say with like depth and with conviction, shalom, right? So I'm gonna, so now it's your turn, right? So I'm gonna say, you are the church, and I want you to respond with depth and conviction, and I want you to say loudly, shalom. You ready? Okay, here we go, ready? You are the church. Shalom. Very nice, very nice. And we, yes, we can applaud it. Very, very, well done. Well done. Okay. So now there's a third group and you all get to be the third group uh, here in this that Paul would be speaking and writing to here. And these would be the Jewish Christians, um, the Jewish Christians specifically that actually lived in the area of Galatia and that were really a part of these churches when they first formed. But here's the thing. While you would share in the beauty and the richness of all that you thought and saw with Torah, right, with, with your Christian Jewish brothers and sisters down in the area of Judea that were, were coming up and teaching and influencing, um, you all, you were first introduced to the gospel more than likely by Paul or someone really close to Paul. In fact, uh, at the time he writes this letter, probably most of these churches are either just a few years old or maybe just uh, like 10, maybe 15 years old, maybe a little bit older. You think about it, this church, Casas, has been in existence more than twice as long as any of these churches in Galatia would have been around. And you were there from the beginning, probably, when Paul was establishing what it meant to be Jewish and to receive Christ as your savior and step into this. And while you might say, I love my Jewish traditions and my roots, and you may even practice them some, you clearly from Paul would understand and believe that justification in my 
not just my salvation, but how I live my everyday life doesn't come from how well I keep all of the religious rules. It comes from faith in Christ. I am justified in Christ. Like, like you would have known that because I am sure Paul would have embedded that deep into the psyche and the DNA of all those churches in this area. And so you, like, you would see this and understand this in a very different way. But you're kind of in an interesting place in all of this, right? Um, because you would have all these brothers and sisters, like these wonderful people over here, that, and you would see what the gospel was doing for them, and you would understand what Paul would have said about them in their spiritual lives. But you have a group of brothers and sisters in Christ that are always Jewish, and they're putting forth a really good argument and putting a lot of pressure on the importance of not letting go of these things that God has talked about in Torah and in the Old Testament in this thing. And it puts you kind of in a weird spot, doesn't it? So here's what I want to do. Um, uh, instead of having a word for you to say, there's something else for you to hear in all of this that I think maybe gets at what this situation is. So here's what, what I'm going to do. In a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make that statement again. You are the church. But here's what I want to do. When I say you are the church, you all are in listening mode. Okay? I want you all to look at them and go, oopa, right? With your best oopa voice, right? While at the same exact time that I say you are the church and they're saying oopa, I want you to turn and look at all of them and with that deep conviction say shalom, right? Okay, so, and, and you all just soak it all in, right? Okay, so here we go. You guys ready? You guys ready? Here we go. You are the church. Shalom. How was that? Feel like a couple of different things are being said at the same time? Yeah. Maybe a little confusing. Maybe like, like this kind of pressure. See, there would have been this group of Jewish Christians, you all, that you would have been in this church and as the church is forming and as it's beginning to mature and maybe it's in its first decade, maybe in its second decade, there's this pressure that is mounting as you're having all of these brand new Christians from a completely different background over here that are coming into the church, but, but you're hearing a voice, you're hearing a pressure that's coming from something very different over here. And, and what's happening in the church is there would be people right where you are that would be going, did I get it wrong? Did, like, what, what if, am I supposed to be following this? Like, is there something here that I, that I missed on this? Is there something I should be telling them that they need to be doing? Or or do I need to be protecting them from them? Or do, like, what, like, it's just, or what should I do in this thing? Like, there'd be all of this pressure. And I think this is super relevant. You think about this for a moment, this issue of how we live out our spiritual lives isn't new to us in this, in this struggle at times between works and faith and what does that mean and how we do it. It was there from almost the beginning. And I think this is so timely because I think you all represent what so many people in today's world in the West face or struggle. And maybe it's not uh, what you would think of as Torah rule keeping, but it is still a kind of religious rule keeping. In fact, it's interesting in the book of Galatians, um, 
Paul doesn't just use one way to describe this. He uses a, a, a multitude of ways to describe this. Sometimes he uses law in um, the general sense, any sort of code, any sort of rule keeping or law. Other times he's referring specifically to the law, like the Mosaic law in this. But you would feel the pressure. Ever have a moment where you felt like you were stepping out and trusting Christ with something and you shared it with a friend as you were navigating it, and they, they're like, well, why would you do that? Would you? And they immediately go with some verse, and, they, and there's maybe like a little bit of panic in their voice or a little bit of sternness that like, like you should be do, clearly doing something there. And you found yourself going, oh, what, 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 what did I miss? Am I sinning? Am I doing something wrong? It's like, you know, like ever have a moment where maybe someone, maybe they weren't directly putting the pressure on you. Maybe you heard someone talking about how much time they spend in their quiet time. And the way it was said was just like, oh, maybe I'm not a very good Christian. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're supposed to spend more time, you know, in a prayer. Maybe there's a certain amount, you know, like really good Christians do this in their quiet time. Ever experienced that? Or maybe there's a debate over like a sin or something. And there's the, and this just like, oh my gosh, what, like I shouldn't think that or I should... See, I think there's something really relevant to this that this group feels. And what I want to do this morning is, is now I want to include all of us into this group here because I think there's something that we face uh, in this that becomes really important. And can I just say that for us as a church and, and why we come back at this is because um, myself but also the leaders of this church the staff, there is something we believe so deeply about being centered in Christ in a life of faith that matters and, and that we need to be reminded of this and we need help to pull us back into this because there's just natural pressures and things in life and in the world that can accidentally pull us away from that life of faith into something else. And it is to this group of people, to us in this way, and specifically to this group, that Paul writes um, chapter four. In fact, the second half of chapter four, I believe he's writing most deliberately to this group of people because of how he tells the story. He's gonna tell a story from the Old Testament. And the way he tells the story is he leaves out so many details. In fact, in some ways, he leaves out more details in this story than he does uh, other stories that he tells at times. But he does this knowing that while the, the Gentile Christians would miss a lot of it, that's okay because that's not their struggle at this point. But everyone from a Jewish background would have been able to fill in all the blanks and knew exactly what was happening with this little story. And he uses this story out of the Old Testament to help us recenter back in this way of like, what do I do in those moments where I just, like, God, what do you want? Like, and, and we get pulled in that direction in a way. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to uh, Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter four. And we're gonna look through this story. And I'm actually gonna kind of map out, I'm gonna diagram uh, this story a little bit to kind of fill in uh, the blanks. But first, first, uh, let's, let me read just the first part of the, the story. So he goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Um, so Galatians chapter four, verse uh, 22, he says this. For it is written, 
that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. So um, he tells this little story, and, and there's more to the story that we'll look at uh, here in a second. But he's going back to this story of Abraham. And when he says, uh, this becomes like an allegory or a metaphor for these two different covenants. A covenant is a type of relationship. Uh, it would determine how a relationship works. So he's going to describe a covenant that is a more works-oriented type of covenant, the kind of thing that those Judean uh, leaders were advocating for. And then he's going to walk through this more faith-oriented covenant um, that, that he established these churches in in the first place. And it starts with uh, Abraham. Right? And in that passage, right, he says, uh, like, there are two sons uh, that represent these two covenants um, by two different uh, women in this. So um, one is a, is a servant by the name of Hagar. And then the second is his wife, Sarah. And Sarah's son is Isaac. Almost made a bad mistake there. <laughs> I can't spell Isaac all of a sudden. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> I'm going to drag my notes over there if that happens again. Um, so on this one, uh, Hagar's son is Ishmael. That's an L. <laughs> Did I spell it right? You know, I think I nailed it in the last service. Let's try again. Thank you. <laughs> and that concludes our spelling lesson for the morning. <laughs> so, so, back to our story, okay? So, uh, in this story, right, uh, he, he's going to go back to this covenant that is established with Abraham that is a covenant about faith in this. But there's something that happens in this story as Abraham is trying to live out his faith with Christ that that mirrors this thing that he sees this group of Jewish Christians struggling with it, and he's going to use the comparison between the two uh, to help him out in this. And so if you look at the passage, he talks about um, with Hagar, he labels this like this is the slave woman because she was the servant of Sarah. And so this covenant represents um, enslavement. Right? And then uh, with Sarah... Uh, he says it represents freedom. Okay? And he's beginning to like unpack the nature of these two covenants and uh, what they're like and what they do. Uh, look back at the, at the passage. Look at verse 23 again. He says, uh, but the son of the slave um, was born according to the flesh. So this one operates out of the flesh. And this is really important. 
I want you to think about this, right? Is he's going to talk about how each operates out of something else. This one operates out of the flesh. Now, if you go back to the story in Genesis and look at this, it doesn't actually use this phrase or this term to work into it. This is something that Paul has incorporated into this because there's something I believe he wants us to understand that's important. Um, and this word flesh is not an uncommon word for Paul. He uses this. And we think about this too. If you've been in the church for any length of time and we talk about, oh gosh, I got a problem with the flesh, right? When we think of the flesh, what do we think about? Our, yeah, our sin nature. We, we think about th those desires, you know, to do the wrong thing in this. Most often when we see this in the New Testament, it's describing this struggle or this tendency to go towards something of sin. Um, I, I, can I give you a working definition for flesh that I think works throughout the New Testament uh, in this that would be important? Think of the flesh in this way. The flesh... Um, it des desires that, uh, it's desires that do not come from who God created us to be. Our flesh is that part of us that is actually responding out of worries, fears, pride, insecurities. And, and that's just not who God created us to be. And we will all struggle with those things. But then there's this fleshy side of us that out of that then will desire things that most often when we think of it, are sinful things. And we have to struggle with the flesh as we struggle with sin and temptation. But notice what he's saying here, that that same thing in operation um, with wanting to go to a, a, a way of relating to God, a covenant with God that is really one of works is actually generated out of our flesh. And the reason I say that is because oftentimes when we think about like, oh, you know, okay, there's the person who's like, you know, steeped in religious rule keeping in it, and that must come out of this incredible devotion to be holy or to be godly, and it comes out of the strength of character. And I say, no, that's not what he's saying here. And I've experienced that in my own life. I've experienced that in others. That sometimes that drive to, 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 to live out my faith through effort or works may seem really uh, bold in striving for holiness, but really it comes out of insecurities and fears or pride. You're trying to fix something, but not out of faith. And that's what you see happening in this story right? Because uh, what does he say? He goes on and he says, while the son of the free woman was born through what? Promise. Promise. See, if you go back to the story, starts off with Abraham, right? He's known as the man of faith. God establishes a faith relationship with Abraham and says, Abraham, here's what I want to do with you. I promise you, here's my promise to you, that I'm going to give you a son that will be a descendant and he will bless you, but he will bless his whole family. From his whole family, he's going to become, and his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Like it's going to go on to bless an entire nation and out of that nation, I will bless the whole world, which of course follows us all the way to Jesus. Jesus tracks his lineage all the way back to Abraham, right? This is the promise. And you live a promise, right, out of a relationship of faith. That's what this is about. But 
Here's what happens in the story. The years go by. They're living by faith. The years go by. Sarah reaches an age where now she's too old to, uh, to have a child, and they start to worry a little bit. Did, did we do enough? Like, we've been telling people about this story. Imagine they're telling people about this story, and people are going, well, may, maybe you're not as spiritual as you think you are. May, maybe there's like, you know, it's like, <gasps> like, ever have that worry where there's something like, am I living my life the way God really wants me to live my life? And you feel a little anxiety. Maybe I should be doing something else. And there's this thing where it's like, maybe we should be taking control of this a little bit more. Like, if we're really going to experience this blessing and have a descendant, like, we got to get started with this thing. We don't even have the first kid, right? Let alone all of these other descendants. So there's this part of them that they go from faith in trusting God to work this promise out and following him that we will put our own work in this. We'll come up with our own plan to do this our way. We've got to do this. Maybe this is what God wants us to do. So they, they come up with this little plan that, you know, is just a... Uh, uh, just, just a gem of a plan, right? This is, this is, this is how to make any family, you know, uh, you know, operate uh, better. Uh, Abraham and Sarah decide that since she can't have a child anymore, that Abraham should sleep with Hagar, Sarah's, you know, maid, and then Hagar will have a child that is technically a descendant of Abraham, and then we're all, this worked out. So, there we go. Abraham sleeps with Hagar. There's the plan. And that's where they have Ishmael, right? And it's like God saying, or it's like Paul saying, remember how, how Sarah and Abraham struggled in the thing? And then when they stepped out of faith and tried to live by works, what it created was something that really was enslavement. It was really out of their flesh, their fears, their pride, their concern, their insecurities. And it didn't work. But then they came back to the promise. And they got to see God work in a beautiful way. See, that's what he's working on here. Now, he goes on and he uses this illustration about uh, Jerusalem that I'm not going to get into uh, just for the sake of time uh, here this morning. You can go back and read it and study it uh, on your own. But down in verse 28, look back at verse 28. He picks up this whole thing again here with this metaphor. And he says uh, this. He says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Remember, Paul is saying this now to that, he's saying it to all of us. He's saying it to that group of Jewish Christians that, that understood and started with this beautiful kind of, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going, to, I'm going to live in the acceptance and freedom of Christ. I'm not going to live under rules and law. And then you're just like, but maybe I should. Maybe, is this okay? Like, it's just, and you find yourself in that tension. And he's saying, can I remind you of who you are? You're children of Sarah, of Isaac, of the promise. That's who you are in all of this. Um, and, and it's interesting what he says uh, next here. Look at, look at what he says about how this uh, all works out. Look at the end of verse 29. He says, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, right, this covenant here, um, to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit he said now here's the other thing you have to remember and remember he's saying i'm telling you this because this is an allegory of what's happening now in galatia in the end this child of this covenant persecuted this child of this covenant 
You go back to the Genesis uh, story, and there's this moment where uh, Hagar, who would have loved Sarah, Sarah would have loved Hagar. I mean, it's not like there was this terrible relationship. But understand that back in this time, for a woman to to not be able to conceive wasn't just something that would be heartbreaking or difficult. You were looked down upon as if there was something wrong with you spiritually, as if God was judging you, as if, you know, women who could get pregnant were spiritually superior to those who couldn't. And it's interesting what the text says. You can go back and read this uh, on your own sometime over in Galatians chapter 16. But it says, when Hagar actually conceived and became pregnant, she started to look at Sarah with contempt. Because when you're living out of the works of the law and you're doing better, like you just, you can't help yourself sometimes. And if you're failing at it, you find yourself living in shame, trying to work harder to make up for it. But everything becomes a comparison. And isn't that enslavement? See, and he's saying, do you remember what happened in that story? How when they tried to do it by works, the one child ended up, like, like that covenant abused the other. And that's how legalism always works. Spiritual works, religious rule keeping, always, and, and not always intentional either. I, I don't want to say this like this. Like, it's just, it has a way of operating that ends up doing harm to faith, is what he's saying. And he goes on in this. Look at the very end of uh, 29, that last uh, phrase there. He goes, he persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. And look at this. So also it is now. This is like where it goes. And I would imagine there's moments where some of you have experienced that. And so the question is, what do we do with this? Because this morning, I, like, I'm not trying to speak to all the different groups. I think this morning, looking at what Paul is saying and the story he tells is a message for all of us that find ourselves wanting to walk in faith with Christ, but also feel that tension at moments to accidentally step into a more works-oriented kind of faith or feel hurt by it. Maybe you've got someone in your life, right, and maybe they have the best of intentions, but they create fear in you at moments. Like somehow you, you're not doing enough good spiritual things. And some, like, like, aren't you afraid that like God's going to be upset with you? And then you find yourself going, man, do, do I need to worry about God being upset with me on this? Or, do I, this? or they, it feels like they're taking the spiritual high ground on everything they speak about morally. And maybe there's something where you're just like, you know, maybe I see that a little differently. But I'm afraid to talk to them about it. Because I feel like the way that discussion would go is that it would make me feel inferior in some way. Way. Or maybe you find yourself, you're getting drugged into like conversation after conversation. It turns into these like, uh, like spiritual debates and debates over the Bible and it, just, and it just wears you out or you become exhausted. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about maybe a few things that Paul talks about in, out of chapter four here that maybe help us recenter in Christ to, to just keep stepping back into the kind of faith relationship that he speaks to uh, in this. So let me offer just three things here, three things. First one is this, recenter your life in Jesus. Now, we say this a lot. We've already said this in this series several times. Uh, uh, Ryan in the second week kind of had a whole message to this. And it's just like, okay, we get it. I want to say, you know what? I'm back at this because Paul keeps coming back at this. 
Scripture keeps coming back at this. And if I'm really honest with myself, we can all slip from this. And to be reminded of it again, to keep our eyes on Scripture and to see how Scripture keeps bringing us back to those things, I think is important. And it's important to make it practical. So let me just make, I'm not going to use a precise Bible verse on this one right now. I want to just make something really practical here. If you find yourself struggling, let's say with the temptation, and you're trying to come up with a rule for why not to do that or why you should do what you do, and you're just like, and I always find myself back at this, and I always fail at this thing, like maybe try something different. Because at the end of the day, the thing Scripture says to us is, rules don't work in the end. Ask a different question. Instead of going through the Bible and saying, what's the rule I'm supposed to follow? Let me give you a suggestion for some different questions to ask. Replace that question with, what does Jesus say about that? Because most of those rules we have, they, they apply to things of like how we treat people. Like I can come up with, I could find a Bible verse that says, do not lie, right? And I could give a, a, a rule, no lying. But the second we are living by a rule for no lying is the nanosecond after that that I'm going, and what's the loophole, right? It's like the, I can find a way to say the thing that's technically true, but it leaves you not knowing what I really said, which is really what I'm after, and I haven't broken the rule, and you, I get everything, right? That's the law. But now ask what Jesus would say about it. And Jesus would say, so what's it look like to love that person? Does it look like deceiving them through technically telling them the truth is the right thing to do? Oh, no. Yeah. And you, and you all of a sudden find yourself going to a different place. Because when you start asking yourself questions about what would Jesus say about this, it takes you to a different place. Ask this question. Who does Jesus say you are? Wow. Because that gives you a different starting point for how you'll navigate life. You know, it's interesting. You look through the book of Galatians and you find all of these places. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 6, uh, he says this. He says, and because you are sons, right? And he's speaking to men and women. He's talking about becoming heirs in this thing. He says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, that's who you are, right? Ask that question. Okay, I'm feeling, man, I'm facing this temptation. You know who I am? I'm, the, I'm, I'm a co-heir with Jesus. I have the Son of God living in my heart. So now when I face this temptation, man, it is a different starting place when I'm starting to face a temptation and I know I'm not alone. See, that's different than Oh, man, how am I going to overcome some rule that's really hard? See how the questions change? But all these questions are just simple questions that recenter you in Christ. Find some scriptural questions that center you in Christ. Second thing, second thing, break the cycle, right? There's this cycle that you see, right? The, the, the people in Galatia, they started off with this kind of faith relationship. We know that. Uh, Paul started them off in this, and then they struggle in this thing. We see it in this story right here. We know that Abraham started in faith, and then he and Sarah, man, they kind of get off track. They get into this works thing several times. They go off into Egypt, and they get way off track, and then they come back into this thing. They face this thing, and there's this cycle that we can get pulled into, especially a cycle with other people. If you've got someone in your life that keeps dragging you into this thing, right? And they show up, and they've got their Bible out, and they're like, you need, and you're just like, oh, man, there's going to another spiritual debate over this thing, and I've got to do this thing, and it's just, you know what you get to say? No, thank you, right? Because you know what Galatians teaches us? 
you are free in Christ. You're not obligated to argue anything theological. Like, that's between you and Jesus. If you're at a point where you're just saying, this is exhausting me, and this is not good for my spiritual well-being, it gets me amped up. It if you find that a theological conversation is dragging you to nervousness, fear, and worry, can I just say, I don't think that's God in that. If you're having a spiritual conversation that is invigorating and pulling you closer to God and causing you to love people more, having you more excited about Scripture and about God, I'd say, keep having that conversation that's a great conversation but if you're having the other kind of conversation break the cycle don't wait until you're exhausted to say no thank you uh, my wife has a, a great phrase uh, for this that you can use and you can maybe say it to yourself or maybe if you need to say it out loud say it out loud let jesus lead you in what you do with it but it's uh, she's got this great phrase she goes not my monkeys, not my circus. <laughs> and I was thinking about it. I said, that applies to this, right? Someone comes at you with all this stuff, and you just say, you know, that's great. But that's not my monkeys. That's not my circus. I, I just, I, like, I'm not going to engage in that with you. Friends, you are free in Christ. Yeah, a, a phrase you can use, and I've used this myself. I'll tell myself this uh, uh, myself sometimes if it's something I feel like I'm being pulled into. And just, I just say, you know, I'm not getting on that ride. That, that's a roller coaster ride with no brakes. I don't have to get on that ride. You can just say that to yourself because you are free in Christ, okay? Uh, um, let me point out one thing on this because he addresses this issue of how, the, how people come at, at this, just if, if this is helpful. Look at verse 17. Again, chapter four, verse 17. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. So if those theological conversations, right, and, and you, right, we've all had that conversation, and if I'm really honest, I, I've been the perpetrator of those conversations. I've been the one that's done it. If it's not producing good in your life that's leading you towards faith and goodness, break the cycle. In fact, he even says uh, in this, uh, um, he asks the question, what's happened to your joy? And if you're not experiencing that joy, maybe you just say, I'm going to break the cycle. Now, one last thing here, and I'm going to close with this. Uh, maybe you're saying, okay, Glenn, that's great. But now as I'm stepping into really following Christ more in faith, you know what he's leading me into? Is actually talking to someone in my life, maybe in a new way that lives over in this place. And I'd say, that's awesome. If Christ is really leading you to do that, right? And you're not doing that out of obligation. Can I offer one practical tip as you engage in that conversation? And it's simply this. Make your point through your life. Start there. And what I mean by that, make your point through your life, um, is your life is a testimony to these things, right? It's interesting, Paul we get this deep theological argument that he pulls out of Genesis here, but we're in chapter four. Chapter one, chapter two. He walks us through his story of how he lived this and then started to live that. And from experience, he's saying, this was slavery, this was bondage, this didn't do good things in my life, that did. And I bet most of you in this room you have a story. If you think back in the moments where you got caught up in that rule-keeping thing, 
I bet you weren't experiencing a lot of joy. Look at Paul's words in chapter 4. What happened to your joy? I bet those weren't moments where you were experiencing profound transformation, were they? And I bet in the end, the, the sin management was short-term, not long-term. But I also bet many of you, if you're like me, I've experienced the most and deepest transformation whether it is in sin, whether it is learning how to love, whether it is understanding who God is, I, the, the, all of that I've experienced more over here, way more over here. This, friends, is way harder because it challenges your heart. This is really the easy stuff. We gravitate to it out of our insecurities. We gravitate to it out of our fears and worries. And the whole time God is saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Find a way to trust him. And if you want to help someone, maybe that God's leading you help over here, start with your story. Start with what God has done in you and see if that doesn't help them find a different space even in their own story. Because there's something beautiful and filled with peace that God wants to have for all of us. Why don't you stand? And I'm going to close this in prayer. And just uh, so good to have all of you here this morning, um, especially those of you who are visiting here. And if you're uh, visiting here for the first time, I'm going to be hanging out in the front here or off to the side or whatever. I'd love for you to come by and find me. I'd love to just uh, shake your hand and welcome you here personally this morning. Let me, let me pray. Father, we just thank you so much uh, for, Paul, for Paul's words. And we thank you just so much for the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and just the transformation he seeks to, to, to orchestrate within our souls and in our lives. And we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great morning. We'll see you next Sunday.